Well, isn't that a happy passage of Scripture? It's not one that we usually share with people when we're talking to them about following Jesus. Hey, come follow Jesus. Be hated by the world. You ready to sign up? Of course not. Nobody wants to be hated. And yet one of the reasons I trust Jesus is because he is so relentlessly honest. If you decide to follow Jesus, there will be people who hate you. There will be people who reject you, who stop a friendship, stop a relationship with you. And so this morning, I want us to dive straight into this passage, and I want us to talk about why do people hate Jesus? I want to talk about why people hate Jesus' followers. I want to talk about what do we do when we are confronted by this hate. And finally, I want us to answer the question, is it worth it? Let's dive in. Why do people hate Jesus? Jesus starts off in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is really interesting. When Jesus says, if the world hates you, the word world here is the Greek word cosmos. And you probably recognize that word. And we get the word cosmic or cosmos out there. And and what Jesus is saying by choosing this word is that the battle we see and why we are hated is not just about people in this world. There is a greater spiritual battle that is going on. That spiritual battle began when Satan rebelled against God, and then that spiritual battle continued until Jesus finally won the war when he was risen from the dead on Easter, and ever since then, Satan has been fighting a rear guard action. Satan is on the losing side, but he will not give up. And so if we decide to be followers of Jesus, we are going to be caught up in that vast spiritual conflict that rages not just on this planet, but throughout the universe. So why does the world hate Jesus so much? Well, first of all, the world hates Jesus because they do not know the heavenly father. They do not know our heavenly father. Look at what Jesus says in the last part of verse 21. He says, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now, Jesus was sent by his heavenly father. And Jesus is simply saying, hey, they hate me because they don't know my father. It's really interesting. We talk a lot here about knowing Jesus. And knowing Jesus is not just head knowledge. Knowing Jesus is to experience him to experience his power, to experience his transforming nature, transforming our life. And people want to know more about Jesus. They actually want to know more about God. They just don't want to know him in an experiential way. Why? Because if you treat God as an object, he's out there. But if you actually encounter the transforming power of the risen Savior, that means... You have to open your life to him. And when you're in the presence of that kind of power, it calls for your surrender. You've experienced this on small scales, lots of different ways, small scales. Like when you finally encounter that person who really is smarter than you, I know it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while, you encounter that person who's smarter than you, and you just kind of go to a humble place. Or, if you're smart, when the officer stops you and says, give me your driver's license, do you give him lip back? No. 
I see some of you have no experience with this. You don't give him any lip back. You say, yes, sir, how can I help? He has authority over you. When you really understand who Jesus is, when you know him, when you let him in your life, it means you will surrender because it's the only logical thing to do. And frankly, this is why a lot of you are stuck spiritually. You cannot know Jesus until you surrender. Some of you are a lot more comfortable keeping that here. Let me just know about Jesus. But Jesus says, look, the reason people hate me is because they know about God, but they don't know me. They don't, they don't experience me in everyday life. Now, let me give you the second reason the world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus because he takes away their excuses. Jesus says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus is saying, look, I'm fair. If I had not come, you wouldn't know about your sin. And so how could I then convict you? But isn't it true, isn't it true that across the world, everyone has some idea of what is wrong? Now, different cultures say different things are wrong, but everybody's got some idea of what is wrong. Where did we ever get the idea of right and wrong? Well, Jesus has come into the world. And Jesus has said, I've taught you the way of the Father. And now you are accountable for your life choices and, yes, your sin. How many of you like to be accountable? You don't like being accountable. And it's real interesting. You want other people to be accountable. You just don't want to be accountable. I went to the doctor this week on Monday, and he gave me this calendar every day on that calendar. I'm supposed to write down my weight, weigh every day. I'm supposed to take my blood pressure every day, write it down. Got it on Monday. Already missed three days. I don't like being accountable. But now here's the interesting thing, right? If the doctor had given me a prescription, I said, now what does this do? And he had said, I don't really know. Just take it and we'll see. What would I have done? I would have laughed. I want him to be accountable. I want him to know what he's talking about. I just don't want to be accountable. And the reason people hate Jesus is he holds them accountable. He holds us accountable. He said, I have come into the world. I have taught you what is right and what is wrong. I have taught you the values of God, and now you're accountable for it. Here's a third reason the world hates Jesus. He forces a choice. The world hates Jesus because he forces a choice. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. Jesus says, look, I did these miracles. You saw them. Remember, he's talking to people who actually saw him do the miracles. And yet still, these people didn't believe. Have you ever met anybody who constructed reasons for something happening to fit their belief? Have you ever watched the news? We do this all the time. I talk sometimes to people who say, look, everybody knows the miracles in the Bible are made up. So really, everybody knows this? Why do you think the miracles in the Bible are made up? Well, the miracles in the Bible made, are made up because that couldn't happen. Well, why do you think that couldn't happen? 
Well, because everybody knows everything goes by natural law. Really? Okay, so everything goes by natural law. Well, why couldn't there be a God who made the natural law, who decides to interrupt natural law to do a miracle? Well, there is no God. Boom. Do do you see it? Do you see it? That is a circular reason. We have started from a place of saying, I don't believe there's a God, so there can't be a miracle. Why not start with, maybe there really is a miracle, what would that mean? There's a God. And if the one doing it is from God and claims to be God's son, maybe I have to take that seriously. That will force me to make a choice. And and human beings, we don't like to be painted into the corner, right, that we have to make the choice. I I used this quote two weeks weeks ago, but it's so good I'm going to use it again. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Now think with me. Jesus is saying, I did all these miracles, you saw them all. So I'm either the world's greatest magician, and I've lied to you, fooled you, tricked you, or I'm a lunatic, and all of this is just random chance. Just pause there, think with me about this. Could all of those miracles have just been random chance? I mean, could it have just been random chance that the guy has been paralyzed and then all of a sudden Jesus says, rise, take up your mat and walk, and the guy gets up and walks? Boom, what a coincidence. What, is, what are the odds? What are the math, math, those of you who are math people? Number one, I don't understand you, but those of you who are math people, just what are the odds that four different writers writing at different times and in different places can tell the same stories of miracles over and over and over. What are the odds that's random chance? If you think that's random chance, just a mathematical probability, I have some swampland in Florida I want to interest you in. I don't have that much faith that it's random chance. And that's why Jesus says, look, I'm going to force a choice. I have done these things. You've got to decide if they're real or not. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, Clay, you know, I don't like this whole force a choice thing because I know some good people. And, 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 and they would give you the shirt off their back. And, you know, they, they, they say they believe in God. They're just not very religious. Let's be clear. Jesus never asked anyone to be religious. Never. He doesn't want you to be religious. He wants you to follow him. But if you just are a person who says, hey, I believe in God, but I just want to do my own thing, that's indifference. And indifference is slow hate. And you don't believe that? Talk to someone who's been in a marriage where their spouse was indifferent. And they will tell you it was hell on earth. It's slow hate. And some people hate Jesus simply because he forces them to make a choice. They don't want to make a choice. So they're indifferent. That's slow hate. Here's the last reason that the world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus irrationally. 
In other words, it doesn't make sense. There's something underneath whatever the stated reason is. In the last verse, verse 25, Jesus says, but this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. Now, this is a verse from the Psalms. Jesus is saying this about the Jewish religious leaders, the religious elite. The, the equivalent in our day would be people who have PhDs in biblical studies. And Jesus says, they hate me. It was even prophesied in their own scriptures they have studied that they would hate me. Why do these people hate Jesus? And it doesn't make sense. Here's why. And I've lived a little bit in the scholarly world. You probably have too. Scholars hate to admit they're wrong. And so these Jewish leaders, if they had decided that Jesus was right, it would mean they had to change their whole theology, change their way of worship, admit that their religion was wrong and outdated, and that they now had to learn a whole new way of living and worshiping. They would have to become like children. And didn't Jesus say, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven? And people don't want to do that. Religious, educated, elite people don't want to do that. Some of us don't want to do that. But if you dig deeper, it has more to do with our pride or it has to do with our wound. And you need to be honest what it's really all about. I have a friend who's not a believer. If you ask him, he would say he is an agnostic. And um, I was talking with my friend. We've got to be close enough. He started telling me a little bit about growing up. He grew up, his dad was one of those people. It was in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, drug the family to church. He was a deacon. But when that dad got home, he would beat the mom and he would beat and abuse his kids. And I said to my friend, kind of gently, I said, are you sure your problems with Jesus or with your dad? Because he had all these intellectual issues he was trying to work through. I think he was just out of touch. Hey, and if that's you, number one, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that some preacher or some parent or some, someone in a church really got you off track and wounded you. But I want you to at least be honest about the real reason you don't believe. Be honest about the real reason you don't believe. And, and here's my hunch. If you would actually give Jesus a chance, you'd find out he's nothing like your dad. Nothing like that church leader that hurt you. Nothing like that person who wounded you. So these are the reasons that the world hates Jesus. Why does the world hate Jesus' followers? Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? I mean, if our goal is to be like Jesus and the world hates Jesus, then naturally, if we join ourselves to Jesus' cause, the world's going to hate us. The more we are like Jesus, the less our life is going to fit with the world. Have you ever noticed the world loves everybody to conform? We want people to conform. We put pressure on people to conform. To stand out in our world is a scary thing. So the world hates Jesus' followers, first of all, because they are chosen. They're chosen. If you're an SEC football fan, you, you know, whether you pull for Carolina, Georgia, God's team, the Florida Gators, what is the one team in the SEC that everybody hates? 
Alabama. Right, Alabama. Yeah, I had a couple of people in the first service who actually went to Alabama. They're now looking for a new church. Okay, why does everybody hate Alabama? Because they're chosen every dadgum year, right? Every year, they're always chosen to win the SEC West, then they're chosen to win the SEC, and then they're chosen to play for Cle- with Clemson for the national championship. I mean, that's every year. Why are they doing that every year? Why are they always chosen? Because Nick Saban has sold his soul to Satan. That's my circular logic right there. No, I'm kidding about Saban. Okay, don't send me hate mail. All right. Why does the world hate us? Look, if you will, verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Note the language. Jesus says, I've chosen you out of the world. I picked you, all of you who follow me, I picked you, I've asked you to follow me for a reason, and you're not going to live anymore by the world's definition of success, you're not going to live by the world's values, you're not going to live in this spiritual chaos, you're going to be taken out of that battle, which I've already won, yes, you are going to have some pieces in it, but I have won, you can live in that assurance, and so the world is going to hate you, you're going to be different. I've told this story through the years, but it's one of my favorites, so I'm going to tell it again. When my kids were small, we were at Walmart, and that's other, Walmart, you know, is otherwise known as Sumter's Disneyland. So we went to Walmart, and in the middle of the aisle was a $100 bill. Just laying there. My kids were on that like white on rice. They grabbed it up. Daddy, daddy, look what we found, look what we found. I know, I know, I know. And believe me, that was back when $100 was a lot of money to me. I'm older now. $20 is a lot of money to me. <laughs> and so the kids are like, let's go to the toy aisle, let's go to the toy aisle. I said, no, wait, 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 wait. That didn't belong to us. Daddy, daddy, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. I said, no, it doesn't belong to us. We've got to turn it in. Now, I'd like to tell you that it was my own sense of integrity and following Jesus that made me want to turn it in. Let me tell you the real reason I turned it in. I knew my kids were watching to see what I was doing. And this would be the time when I had to decide, do I want to show them that honesty is more important than money? And I decided to be honest. We took it up to the little service desk, handed it over, I t- because I can't keep my mouth shut, I told this story to some friends. I had people come, I had people talk to me about it, and they would say to me, why did you do that? It's so stupid. Friends, remember. And they said, Clay, when you turned your back, that clerk just slipped that $100 in her pocket. Or they, they said, you know, that's only going to go in the safe, and then Walmart's going to keep it, and Walmart doesn't need any more money. Yeah, but... I knew what Jesus wanted me to do. I was chosen out of the world. The more we're like Jesus, the more the world hates us. The world hates it because we're not like them. Let me give you the second reason why the world hates Jesus' followers. The world hates us because we have a higher loyalty. John 15, 21, first part says... Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. Now, Jesus is telling us, hey, if I'm hated, you're going to be hated. But remember, 
you are my servants. I'm your master. And that means our ultimate loyalty goes to Jesus. Before we are loyal to our spouse, our family, our friends, our country, our political party, even before we are loyal to Clemson or Carolina, our loyalty goes to Jesus. And that means he deserves the best of your time, the best of your energy, the best of your emotions, the best of your resources. And see, when Jesus is completely in charge of your life, everything changes. Now you understand why the world hates Jesus and why it hates Jesus' followers. So what do we do about it? Remember, nobody likes to be hated. So if you're going to follow Jesus, this is a real issue. We're going to have to learn to deal with it. How do we deal with the hatred? Well, it's the answer to every question. You need to be like Jesus. You need to be like Jesus. So how are you like Jesus? Well, real quickly, I'm going to touch on some verses that we, we talked about in the previous two weeks. And if you haven't listened to those messages, I really want to encourage you to go back, listen to them online. But first of all, I want you to remember Jesus stayed connected. Don't forget this. Remember what he said in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. In other words, Jesus was connected to his heavenly Father, and if we stay connected to our heavenly Father, you can deal with the hate. When you know you are profoundly loved, when you know you are cherished, you are prized, that Jesus died for you, you can deal with hatred. And if you don't feel that, I want to suggest to you that today you actually ought to pray about that and say, Lord, help me know how profoundly I am loved. The second thing that Jesus did is he knew his purpose. He knew why he had come to earth. He knew his mission and he did it. Remember what he said in verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You see, see, when you know your purpose, you know that Jesus wants you to bear fruit, it helps you deal with hate. You can either look at the hate that's coming your way or you can dwell in your purpose. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that your purpose is to bear fruit. That means the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And if you, it's a little too fast for you to write down, go to Galatians 5, the whole list is there. But remember also that you're to have fruit. You're to have something part of your life which is helping the kingdom expand. And, and I wish I could sit down and have a conversation with every one of you so you could know what that is. But I want you to remember there is some purpose that God has made you for. You need to be doing it. Now the last one, and I'm going to take a little more time on this one. Jesus had a circle of friends. Be like Jesus. Jesus had a circle of friends. And some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. He was Jesus. He didn't need friends. Don't you, don't you remember the last night of his life before he was crucified? He gathered Peter, James, and John. He said, I want you three to come with me, his closest friends. I want you to pray with me and watch with me while I pray. Now, they fell asleep. That's another issue. But even in that last night of Jesus' life, he needed a circle of friends. So do you. 
Remember what he said? I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You need a circle of friends to support you when people hate you. When you do the right thing and you face opposition, you need a circle of friends who are there for you when life takes you down an unexpected road, when you lose your job because you stand for something. You need someone in your life to be there for you. Now, this next part is going to feel like a commercial. I'm sorry, I've tried to think about a, a dozen different ways to make it not sound like a commercial and it don't work. So just hang with me. I believe you need to be in a life group. Why do I believe you need to be in a life group? Because you need a circle of friends. You need a circle of friends that will help you face the hate. So if you're at Pacala campus, on the side curtains, you've got some group posters hanging of new groups that are launching. Here at Loring Mill, we have got posters in the room of new groups that are launching. These are launching on Sundays. These are launching on uh, the weekdays. We are launching 26 new groups at this campus, more at Pacala. And if you're watching online, we even have online group options for you, including a Zoom group. You get to go to group and not have to breathe anybody else's air. So I want to encourage you to get in a group. You need a circle of friends. The topic is important. The process will be more important. So you'll go into that group and every group, every group will have this moment. They'll say, is there any, are there any prayer requests? And that is code language for saying anybody got anything, they, they just need us to support them in. And you can say, yes, I, I'm really running into opposition at work because my boss wants me to lie about some numbers. The world will hate you if you're my disciple. Hey, I'm, I'm running into some difficulty in my marriage. Don't, don't say this if your spouse is there. I'm running into difficulty in my marriage because my, my wife, she really, she really doesn't want us to be connected in, in a spiritual accountability. Okay, the world will hate you if you're my disciple. Hey, my adult kids... My adult kids, are, they're really turning away from God, and I don't know where I went wrong. And, oh, I just I deal with this guilt. Hey, the world will hate you if you follow Jesus, even your kids. That's why you need a circle of friends. You need a circle of friends sometimes to tell you the reason the world is hating you is because you are being a jerk. Right? Somebody needs to tell you the truth. And it's always better if it's not just your wife. I know some of you think that that's what your wife should do. And some of you think, well, that's what the husband does. Yes, 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 I get all of that. But you need somebody else in your life who can tell you. You're just, yeah, the reason the world's hating you is because you're just being a jerk. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Now, I know some of you are like, I just, uh, I don't want to walk into a room full of people I don't know. I get that. I know, believe it or not, I'm an introvert. I don't like walking in rooms full of people that I don't know either. But all of these are new groups. Everybody who walks into the room is new. Everybody is looking to see which one is the weird one. So you can get there first and not be the weird one. You need to get in a group. At Pacala, here, online. And to make this easy, some of you are like, I'm overwhelmed. There's 26 choices. I don't know what to do. All you need to do is text the word group to 803 720 9711. 803 
720-9711. Some of you are writing that number down, good. More of you need to write this number down. And you just need to text group. Within 24 hours, someone from the church will contact you and talk with you and offer you some options. Now, we can't make you go, but I promise you, if you go, it'll be worth it. Now, why is this so important? You know, Americans, we're lonely people right now. We've been through this incredible time of isolation. Uh, looks like it may be coming back, and who knows? You need a support system. Let me tell you something real interesting. Uh, this is not a Christian study. But uh, some psychologists studied this and said that people who have a support group, not just a friend, but a support group, people who have a support group have a 60% chance of living longer than people who do not have a support group. 60% chance living longer than people who do not have a support group. That's why our motto at Alice Drive is join a group or die. I know some of you are saying, okay, Clay, I'm already in a group. If, okay, if you're in a group and, and it works for you, great. We don't want you to leave in a group, but those of you not in a group, get in a group, please, please. All right, last question. Is it worth it? I mean, following Jesus, is it worth all the hatred? I think that's a real important question. Why is it worth it to really follow Jesus? Well, I actually believe this is the simplest answer of all. The life change that Jesus brings is worth the hatred of the world. Jesus will give you a peace you do not have. He will forgive your sins. He will give you strength. He will do miracles on your behalf. And he promises you a home in heaven. That's just five of the reasons I can think of. It's worth it. Um, I want to show you a picture. This is a guy named Thomas Tarrant. Does he look like a domestic terrorist to you? But he was. The civil rights era in Alabama and Mississippi, the 50s and the 60s, Thomas Tarrant was part of the white knights of the Ku Klux Klan. He bombed black churches, he bombed Jewish businesses, he bombed the homes of black people in Mississippi and in Alabama, Jewish people in Mississippi and Alabama. He was a terrorist by every definition. He and an accomplice were going to bomb the home of a Jewish businessman. And there was a tip from the FBI and they and the, he and his accomplice got caught in a gun battle with the FBI. The accomplice, interestingly a woman, uh, was shot and killed by the FBI and he was taken prisoner and put in the Mississippi State Penitentiary in Parchman, Mississippi. Now here's, here's what's really odd about Thomas. Thomas grew up in the church. He'd sung all the little songs, gotten his Bible when he was in kindergarten in first grade. And when he was doing all those bombings, if you had asked him, Thomas, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And he would have said, yes. You think he would have? So Thomas now is in prison. Some of you I know have experienced that. And you can get bored real quick in prison. He was, has a real keen mind. And so he began to read. He began to read fascist and racist literature. He read Mein Kampf by Hitler uh, several times. Uh, just, you know, try to 
get in touch. But the more he read, the more he realized it was just boring. It didn't really make sense. So he branched out to classical philosophy and began to read Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and, <laughs> and my favorite Greek philosopher, Euripides, not because of his philosophy, but I just love the name, Euripides. And, and then that led him to read the Gospels. And for the first time when he read those stories that he knew, he knew those stories, he realized they were about him. That he was on every page of the gospel. Jesus was talking to him. There were stories about broken people who were being healed and saved. There were were stories about sinners who were being loved by Jesus. And he realized he was on every page. And one night in his maximum security cell at Parchman, he got on his knees, and he began to confess his sins to Jesus. He actually repented. It took him a long time, a very long time to repent of everything he'd done wrong. And he asked Jesus to forgive him. When he got up the next morning, he said that he just suddenly had a hunger to read more of the Bible. He read and he read he began to sense God changing his heart. You may know in maximum security, they'll let you out for one hour a day. And some prisoners stay in and just a few handful get out at one time. So he was let out and he, you know, he'd been let out with the black inmates before. And they didn't really want anything to do with each other. But he started making friends with the black inmates. Now just, just hold on a second. Do you get this? This guy is in the KKK. He has bombed black churches and black homes. Now he's making friends with the black inmates? Jesus is changing his life. He he makes contact with the prison chaplain. He he begins to lead a Bible study, which is a little hard to do when everybody is facing one way. And they're doing it through the bars. And then he kind of gets demoted down to another unit. And now he's able to lead a Bible study in a chapel. And then amazingly, he's on a 40-year sentence. After nine years, he's paroled. Now, when he is paroled, keep in mind, how do you think his brothers in the KKK feel about him? They hate him. He's changed. He doesn't conform anymore. So if your old friends hate you and you've just got out of prison, what do you do? He went to seminary. He became a minister. He is now the head of the C.S. Lewis Institute which is devoted to the writings of the great Christian thinker and philosopher C.S. Lewis, who we already quoted. He goes all around the country teaching. Real interesting. This is why you should come to 11 o'clock, because I didn't share this story in the others. Um, when the attack on the Capitol happened, he wrote this long op-ed column in the Washington Post saying, I've been on both sides of this. Let me tell you, the only thing that will heal this country is not violence, but the love of Jesus. So you ask Thomas Tarrant, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I love love one of the things that he said. He said, there is no pit so deep that his love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that his love is not deeper still. And you can just imagine the picture of that, of Jesus reaching down into the pit that Thomas Tarrant had dug for himself and lifting him up and saying, I've chosen you out of this world. 
And I want to tell you there's no pit. Whether you've dug it yourself or you've been knocked into it, that Jesus cannot reach down and pull you out and say, I've chosen you. It's worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, never let us doubt the love of Jesus being so deep. It's worth it. I want to pray for everyone who's struggling. They're in a pit right now. Lift them out. God, I know that there's some people that they really, they've struggled because no one wants to be hated. But Father, remind of one of us that we're following Jesus and it's worth it. And for those who don't believe or those who are indifferent, Father, would you help them today see the beauty of Jesus, see all the reasons that they should follow him. I pray they'd be saved today. I pray all of this in the amazing name and the wonderful love of Jesus. Amen.